My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. We're glad you're here. I should have a verse for you I want to read as I start. And there's a picture, and we all know what that is, right? We all know what that is. It's uh, COVID-19. Uh, I love the Apostle Paul's words. I sent this out in an email this week and shared it uh, with just some thoughts. I want to remind us of that. The Apostle Paul writes to the church at Philippi, and he writes to these believers that had supported him. And uh, toward the end of his letter, he says these beautiful things in chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. He says, don't worry about anything. Uh, Anything, right? There's not like a subpoint B or there's a little paragraph 42 or article 7 or there's not some kind of extra hidden in the Greek language with the exception of it's just don't worry about anything. Uh, worry, that's a stress, that's the anxiety. Uh, it's definitely in the air, right? There are germs in the air, but this is also in the air. There is a great fear in our culture and it's not completely unfounded. I mean, absolutely. Uh, I was on the phone with a gal who's in Eastern Oregon, her and her husband, he pastors a church, and she's the third Oregon case, and she's the only female, and she's home isolated, and she's fine, and we're, we spent almost two hours on the phone, it was just talking about things, and you know, there's a lot of fear in our culture, and there's a lot of fear because of this coronavirus, and you know, again, it's, it's important to be awake, it's important to, <laughs> for goodness sake, do what your mom told you, wash your hands, right? <laughs> here for mom. She was right all along. And, and yet, but Paul tells us, don't worry about anything. You know, the context is Paul is sitting in a prison right now. He's writing this because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because of sharing the good news message that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life because of that, because Paul left the comfort of his church, because he left the comfort of his community, Because he left his country, he went somewhere else, and everywhere he went, he told people about Jesus. And because of that, he's in a prison right now because of that. He's in chains because of the message of Jesus. And he says, hey, when you put it all into perspective, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. So you could either worry or you could pray. And if you're worrying, you can't pray. And if you're praying, you don't need to worry, right? So it's one or the other. Otherwise, you're acting like a practical atheist, right? I mean, you believe in God, you just don't trust him, you know? He's God, but he's not like that much God, right? 
If God is large and in charge, if he's in control of everything, there's no reason to worry. Instead, pray about everything. Prayer is this constant conversation with God. It says, God, here's what I need. Here's what's going on. God, this is awesome. This is unbelievably painful. God, here's the good. God, here's the bad. Here's my life right now. Here's my stress. Here's my temptation. Here's what I need to know. Here's what I need to do. God, I just want to thank you for this. Lord, help me. Open my eyes. Open my heart. I want to know what's just talking to God every time you have the breath. You just talk to God. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. So it's not just a shopping list. I mean, I hope you have prayer lists. I've got prayer lists, you know, and, and those are important lists. Family, friends, you know, coworkers, things like that. I've got a lot of lists, right? People that, you know, I'm sharing Jesus with or I need to share Jesus with. People in my life that have cancer. I mean, people that are in crisis and marriage and struggles. I've got tons of lists, okay? And that's okay. You got a list, but it's more than that. Prayer is not just, you know, telling God what you need. He invites us to do that. He you know, he, he says that. Jesus says, ask and seek and knock. Let your father know he's a father. He's a heavenly father. He cares about your needs. He cares about your concerns. So cast all those cares upon him. He cares for you. Uh, but also thank him for what he's done. You know, it's like, God, you've been so faithful and you've done this and you've done that. And I hope you have a list of all the good things God has done and the way he's shown up as God in your life. So don't, don't worry about anything. Don't worry about this virus. Pray about everything. Pray about your opportunity uh, to be safe and, and to be a gospel light in someone's life in a culture, right, that's living with fear right now. In other words, don't run to Costco and buy the toilet paper for yourself, you know. Run to Costco and buy all the toilet paper and start handing it out to people who have a need, right? Find the seniors in your community and say, I got a gift for you. It's like a four-pack of Charmin, you know? And um, I, I told my wife this. I said, man, if I you know, had a thought on this one, I talked about going and getting some of this. Can you imagine? I would have made a run on Costco Purell, and we would have had a truck out front. It's like free Purell. You know, Jesus, you know, clean up your life or something like that. I don't really know. I probably wouldn't have said that. Uh, afraid of germs? You should be afraid of hell. No. Um, sorry. <laughs> uh, you know, it's like, what, find ways to serve people, right? Find ways to tell God what you need and, and thank him for what he's done. Don't worry about anything. You have a light. You have an opportunity. You have a gospel moment, right? That, that's what Paul is saying in the midst of suffering and struggle. Then, this is this one of those if-then clauses. If you pray about everything, then you'll receive peace. God's peace which exceeds anything we can understand. It passes all understanding, one translation says it. You want peace? Pray. You want peace? Stop worrying. If you worry, you're not going to have peace. Uh, I know, I know, I know. And, you know, if you've lived any number of years, you've had seasons of your life where it's just darkness and despondency. Uh, for me, about 25, 26 years ago, before I came to Sunrise, it was about a three-month time that my life just had fallen apart. The bottom had dropped out. Everything had imploded. And you know what? I, I was reading the book of Job, of all things, for crying out loud. Thank you, God. That was a, that was a good book. Uh, you know? And yet, this peace was washing over me. In the midst of just everything changing in my life, you know what? Man, I, I was at peace. I could lay my head down at night and go to bed in peace. I could wake up. I could walk in peace. Did I have issues? Did I have stuff? Absolutely. But man, I had peace. Why? Because that peace passes anything we can understand. In fact, can you imagine if we were people of peace this week? If we did this and we proactively did this in our communities and our schools and our workplaces and we became the people of peace and not just like we are peacemakers, but we just live in peace. We have this unbelievable peace. People come up and go, why aren't you panicking? It's like, why would I panic? There's a God and he loves me and I love him and let me tell you about that. 
This peace will pass all understanding and his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. We do live in a fearful age. I mean, just, you know, of just normal life. But now with this coronavirus, uh, there's a lot of reasons for people to panic and get selfish. The church has always done well in moments like this. When you study history, church history, the first specifically 300 years of the church, we were the ones that, that didn't leave. We were the ones that didn't run to safety. We were the ones that ran to danger. We were the ones that ran into the middle of the fire and rescued people out of it. We were the ones in the middle of the plagues, in the middle of the, the germs that people didn't understand. They didn't even have a bar of soap back then. There was no concept of that. When the mysterious was going on, when people were attributing it to the gods who were judging, you know, and firing their darts and killing people and wiping out cities, the believers were the ones that stayed and loved and cared and tenderly held people as they died. And believers actually died because of that. And I, I was telling some pastors this week, a couple groups I was with, some coaching, and I was just saying, you know, this could be our finest hour. I know the world is skeptical of Jesus and skeptical of Christianity. And I, 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 get, I get that our culture has really turned away from the church. And I understand that. And there's some reasons and some valid reasons why they have. But if... If we want to talk about Jesus, forget the apologetic. Let's just show Jesus. Let's demonstrate the life of Jesus because that'll just change hearts and minds. One of the emperors wrote about this, and, and, and you can read this in church history. And he talked about, you know, all of our priests, all of our people fled, all the people who had means left, and all of our poor, and all of our suffering, and all of our aged were dying, and nobody cared. And it was the followers of Jesus that came in. And he was so angry at that because that was winning people to Jesus. Can you imagine winning people to Jesus? by the peace that you have and the love that you could give. That is what my prayer is. I mean, when you read Jesus' own words, he says this. He says, I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Man, if you want to show Jesus, if you want to prove to people that you're a follower of Jesus, love. And not just with this mushy-gushy feeling, just love with action, self-sacrifice. Love one another. The love that we have amongst one another in this church and our groups and our community, people are going to see that. And the love that we give to other people, people are going to notice that. And they're going to know. And Jesus said, your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. We have an opportunity. We have a moment. We have a moment to speak into our culture. And the bottom line is this. When we move out of ourselves and our fears, and we could see what God could do in our circumstances of this virus to spread the gospel. Man, our faith could lead us to push beyond fear and actually eradicate people's fears as we walk in faith. Well, this is a really good time to think about this because we've been in the book of Acts and the gospel message has been changing lives and hearts and, and whole stories and cities. And last week we started in Acts 16 where Paul and Silas, his companions, they move into a city called Philippi. They had traveled about 140, 150 miles by ship and then they had walked about 10 miles on foot. They show up at this little Roman colony, this little uh, city-state uh, of a Roman world called called Philippi 
and named after Philip and Philip of Macedon. There's a great history there in that area up in upper Greece. And, and it's just a nice little place, right? And Paul would normally go into the synagogue, the place where the Jews met. Why? Because he's a Jew and he can reason with the Jews. He can open up the scriptures and talk about the Messiah and point to Jesus and tell his own story. And he did that, but there's no synagogue there. So he just hangs out. He kind of is attuned to what's going on. He notices these women go down to the river and they pray. And as they gather for prayer, this is kind of like almost pre-church, you know, just a Bible study. And so instead of standing up and preaching to people, he sits down and he begins to reason with these ladies. And one of these gals, Lydia, comes to Christ. And then not long after that, in the midst of all this going to pray and, and doing life and reasoning with people and talking about Jesus, you know, he's been noticing this slave girl who is possessed by a demon, literally has the spirit of the python in her, meaning that she's tormented and she's harassed and she's helpless. And she is bound up by her masters, whether chains or ropes or whatever. But she is now sold into slavery so she could tell people's fortunes. And it's a demon that's actually inside of her. And he releases her from the demon. And today we're going to see the third person in the Philippi story, and it's a jailer, and a jailer that is really just an interesting character. And whereas, whereas Lydia is like that high-end boutique shop owner in downtown Portland that sells expensive clothes, and, and in order to reach her, Paul reasons with her about Jesus, sits down, has conversations. And this slave girl, 10, 14 years old, who's harassed and helpless, she is literally a slave. She's like the teenage prostitute that sex trafficked on the streets of Portland, kept high on meth so that she can perform her act so that her pimp can get money. She just needed to be released from her bondage and slavery. But this guy, this jailer, I mean, he's probably ex-military. He's probably, you know, this big buff guy, and he's there. And, you know, reasoning isn't really what he needs. Delivery from a demon isn't what he needs. But you know what he needs? He needs to see Jesus. And he is going to be one because of the praise of God's people in the midst of suffering. And so as we see this story, I think it's a really uh, opportune story for our day and our age going forward in the next number of weeks or months or however long this virus hits us and whatever it does to our culture and community, whatever happens in Hillsborough and whatever happens with our schools and whatever happens with our workplace and whatever happens with the economy, we can look and we go, this guy is an example. And how Paul and Silas delivered him to Jesus and shared the gospel and how this guy was saved because of the message. That's an example of what you and I need today. And so it's a great, great story. And if you have a Bible, you could turn there and it's in chapter 16, starting in verse 19 of Acts. So when the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. So these guys, just callous hearts, because they were using this young gal. They were abusing this young gal. She was just an object. And they were dragging her around, and they would get coins thrown in their coffer if she would tell the future or prophesy. And she's just a tormented gal. This demon is just destroying her. And, and now that the demon's gone, she's in her right mind. She's, you know, she can probably stand up straight, and she can think clearly, and she's freed, which you'd think everybody would rejoice in, but not these guys because they're abusing her. She's just an object, right? And then and, and the cruelty of that, they need their money. They want their pound of flesh, right? 
And so they drag Paul and Silas, the people that caused this problem, right? And they drag her into the city square and the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrate, the civil authority. You'd think of it be like a, a chief of police or like a judge, someone that did all those things, and said, these men are Jews, which is a you know, pejorative. These are, these are the, the, those Jews that are causing problems everywhere they go. They're peculiar people. They, they worship on a certain day. They don't worship our gods. They eat certain foods. They don't eat certain foods. They're kind of weird people right? So in a negative, these, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept our practice. And that's not true. They haven't caused a riot. Now, the reality is sometimes when Paul shared the gospel, it caused a riot, okay? Uh, sometimes the whole city was an uproar. We'll see that, you know, in a couple of weeks at Ephesus. But the fact is for this one, it's like, no, they've just been serving. They've just been loving. They've just been sitting there by the river. They've been praying with people. They've been loving and they've been preaching this message. And yet these guys are in an uproar. And so they're like, we've got to do something against this. These people, these foreigners have come in. These people that don't belong in our country have come in. They're causing all kinds of problems. We've got to get rid of them and go back to our ways. We're the people, right? We're supreme. And all of a sudden then, the, it whips up the crowd into a frenzy. So look what happens. It says, they join in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. And after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now you think about this. I mean, this is, this is pretty unbelievable. First of all, the whole town just beats up on Paul and Silas. We saw this in Lystra where everybody throws the stones and he's just basically left for dead. This, and this started because the Jews were against him. Now the Romans are against him because, you know, they're Jews. And so now all of a sudden they've got the lashes. They've got the wounds. Paul's already been beat up and bloody and bruised from this other one. Now with Silas, they're whipped, they're flogged, which would have meant uh, in a very simple way they would have been beaten with rods they, they would have been stripped. If you remember the flogging of Jesus, uh, you know, it was this cat of nine tails that the Romans were, they were experts at torture. They loved it and they were bloodthirsty. And so they would attach bone or glass or some kind of metal, you know, to the end. And they would attach, you know, those and they would attack you and, and just rip your back open to shreds. These people are wounded now. Paul and Silas are bloodied and it's a bloodthirsty crowd, right? And so they throw them into this jail and they throw them in the inner part of the jail, they throw them in there because there would be no air, there'd be no, uh, you know, light, and these were the worst of the worst people, right? And they put him, uh, they put this guy, this jailer in charge. Now, as I said earlier, he'd be ex-military. Why? Because when you were a Roman citizen and when you were a part of the military, you would serve your terms, and when you were done, you would be released, but you, you know, for a day job, you would do a very similar job. And so these ex-military people were perfectly suited for these kind of administrative you know, roles of protecting. Uh, they would be like the policemen of the day, or they would be like the guards that you would hire to escort you to safety from one place to the next. Uh, you know? And so this, this was, you know, very simply, this would have been a really tough guy. This would have been a big, imposing man, kind of like Carlos, you know, a guy that you wouldn't want to meet in an alley at night if he had a frown on his face, right? It's like, this guy knows what it's like to be in combat, and you just might be the next combat victim, right? And so you could see this guy is tough on the outside. He's got this exterior. He's probably done this so many times. And this is just a day in the life of a Roman jailer. And, and yet he doesn't attend to their wounds. He doesn't care for them. He doesn't make sure they're okay. He doesn't, in no way do you see him giving them food or water or anything. He puts them in stocks. 
which they would be sitting in, you know, on the floor there, on the ground, the stone floor, and then they would have you know, put the wood around them and had the openings for the legs, and you've seen all this in history, and they would lock it down. And not only were they the, in chains, the, the, the cell door was locked up, but now they're there, and they're in pain. Now, how would you have responded if you could have reached your phone and you had cell service and you hopped on Facebook? What would you have done in that moment? Man, it's totally unfair. God, what did you do to me? I can't believe this. I'm on a mission from God, and this is how you treat me? This is, I mean, you know, I'm going to call my authorities. I'm going I'm to talk to my mom. I'm going to get a lawyer. You know what I mean? I got I to find a governor. I got I to reach out to the president. This is not right. I mean, we would, come on, let's be honest. We have lesser things happen in our lives, and we are so wimps, so weak. We are just so watered down in our strength. We're so comfortable that any kind of discomfort cries out to God. It's like, how could you do this to me, God? That's not how they responded. I mean, when you think about these guys and you think about their context, I've, I've got a couple pictures for you here to get you a little bit in the you know, understanding. This is Philippi right here. This is taken up on a hillside. And um, you can walk up this hill. Uh, for the most part, the city's right there below you. Uh, it's not a very large city. Uh, this is the Cardo, the heart of the city, the main street. All around it would have been shops. You can see some of the columns that they've put back up. They would have been lined up there. And all the places to buy and to sell would have been, though, Paul and Silas would have wandered through there. They would have witnessed for Christ. They would have talked about that there's a library down here. There's a temple up there to one of their gods. And this is just life in a Roman city, a Roman uh, city-state that has the authority of Rome backing it. It's safe and secure there. And yet down over here on the right of the photo, that's where the civil authorities would have been. That's where the, the courts would have been. That's where the jail would have been. In fact, in that lower right corner, you can see this next picture. This is what it would have looked like. Um, I'm wearing, I don't notice that. I'm wearing my sunrise polo. There we go. That's right. Two years ago. I'm flying the colors. Yeah, it's also a Nike shirt there. I was looking for the temple of Nike, but I couldn't find it. They, they worship Nike over there, just like we do. And um, I didn't see a temple of Adidas, but, you know. That's newer. And so this is the remains of that area that would have been the magistrate's area and the jail area. And you can just imagine it all built up with these stones and an entrance and thrown into the back of that. And so, you know, you, you can picture it. I stood back there and you imagine the story going on. Well, let's go on in the text. Let's keep rolling in the text. It says this. But Paul shouted. Oh, let's go back just a second. Sorry. Um, right here. It says, at midnight... Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Now, what amazes me is that these two guys in pain, these two guys that could have been crying out to God, could have been, uh, you know, calling their lawyer, as it were. Um, they were just praying. And they were just singing songs to God. And I don't know if they were singing through their pain. Uh, I'm sure they had to hurt. I'm sure they had to be suffering. They had to have blood all over themselves. They had to have open wounds. They had to be aching. They, they, they had to have reason to just cry. And instead of crying to themselves, man, they cried out to God. And they prayed God, to God. And we don't have a you know, history of what they prayed. We don't know what they sang. It's probably how great thou art or something like that. You know, one of those, victory in Jesus. I don't really know, but they sang, sang songs. And they cried out to their God. Why? Because they knew their God was the one who could hear them, even in the darkness even without 
the exposure to the light and the air, even bound up in stocks and chains, even deep in a place that was completely unjust. When they had done the just thing, when they had brought, brought freedom to this young gal and relieved her of her oppression, they were punished for it. And somehow all they had was joy, right? All they had was this response of praying to God and worshiping God. And they did it a long time. And we don't know how long, but we definitely know this, that the other prisoners were listening to them. And the word is they were intently wondering what in the world is wrong with these weird people, right? It's like how in the world they're, they're listening with the ear to understand what's going on. Maybe they can't see him. Maybe they can. But the fact is, is that this, these guys are weird because that's not how we respond. And they got worse than we got. You know, you think about the world today and where we're at and this whole COVID-19, this corona thing is that the world is responding a certain way. What if we responded differently? What if we went into our world today? What if we went into our classrooms, our schools and our, our jobs and our places and their Costco's and whatever and our libraries and we were just different people and we found ways to love people? What if we got it? And, and what if all of a sudden we use an opportunity to go online and do video stuff and just share Jesus with people? And, you know, through the coughing and all the pain of that, what if we communicated Christ? This gal I talked to on the phone uh, in Eastern Oregon, who, who's, who's the uh, presumptive case, but she's the third in Oregon. She's just praising God. She's just, you know, celebrating that God is going to use this as an opportunity to witness. I'm like, man, those people are weird, right? Yeah, it's a good weird, though, because our culture is broken. Our system is broken, our norm is broken. And so Paul and Silas, they're worshiping God and praying. And the prisoners are listening intently. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. You know, it was not uncommon in that area to have earthquakes. There's a lot of that that went on in that area there, of upper Greece. And uh, sometimes cities had to be just basically abandoned because of so many earthquakes. Uh, so it wouldn't have been odd, but this is a special earthquake. This is sent from God earthquake because all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. Okay, this is different, right? Everybody is now free. So what are they going to do? Well, the jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Now think about this. In a shame culture. In a world where this guy has been put in charge of prisoners and he is the guy for the job and he failed on the job. He fell asleep on the job. The only thing that's left for him is certain death because as soon as the day arrives and as soon as everybody finds out, they'll kill him. Why? Because he deserves death. Because in that shame culture, he failed. And when a person failed, it was off with their head, right? It was a sword through their heart. And so he knows that's, that's the next thing for him, and that's what's coming. And so in, in the only moment of honor he could have, he goes to kill himself, right? He goes to, to commit suicide, and you'd think that makes sense, right? But yet God still shows up in the darkness. Look at this. It says, but Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. I, I, I love that. I mean, if been one of us maybe as an american citizen we have our rights and we you know march against anything that's not our rights and i would be honest we're pretty wimpy on everything and yet we fight for that and we want justice we'd have probably sat there and waited till he killed himself and see well see there's justice right now paul he's like no there's a human being over there no matter how hard on the outside no matter how cruel he has been on the outside um, he's still a human being loved by god made in his image 
And, and there's a possibility for everybody, my friend. No matter how far out of the spectrum you think a person could be, they're still loved by God and could come to faith. And so don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sir, what must I do to be saved? I love that. We don't know the story of what was being done or said or sung, but somehow the gospel shows up in their worship and prayer. Somehow this guy who's a Roman citizen who probably doesn't know anything about Jesus, doesn't know much except his own religion of worshiping idols that are empty and, you know, it's futility and there's a vain worship and you offer, but you're never confident of an answer. And those gods are relentless and, and they disappoint. But now all of a sudden this real God shows up in, in these guys and his only response is, sirs, what, what must I do to be saved? Now, you've got to take that on both levels because let's be honest. He's not saying, wow, do you, did you bring a four spiritual laws track? Can you walk me through the plan of salvation? He wouldn't have had any clue of that. That's reading way too much in the text. Sirs, tell me about the Lord Jesus Christ and how he was born in Bethlehem and how he walked 33 years and how he had disciples and how he died on a cross. He wouldn't have had any context. He's crying out because his life is over. Sirs, how do I get out of this mess? How do I get rescued from my situation? That's not an unfair thing to think because in our ministry with those in recovery, that's like the first point of contact. That's the felt need. You know how many people have come to faith in Jesus Christ through our recovery ministry? from alcohol or drugs or through our recovery ministry of through grief of losing a loved one or through recovery of the grief and the pain of divorce. People come to Jesus because we meet them at that moment of need and they need to be rescued at that moment. And you and I know there's a deeper rescue that they need. We got to meet them at that. And when Jesus shows up and rescues them there, they discover some kind of hope and healing. That's what we're praying about with our reboot, our combat recovery is that men and women who would never walk into a recovery program, because we're not going to call it that, it's, it's, a, it's this understanding of you know, finding this hope in the middle of PTSD. Those that have been on the field, those that have, you know, for our government, for our freedom, have sacrificed and, and who've lost buddies on the field, who've actually, you know, taken other people's lives for our freedom. Those that have done that, the moment of need is what's right in front of them. I remember several years ago praying with a young man in our Saturday night service afterwards, and he had been uh, in Afghanistan. He had been a sniper. And, you know, as he sat and told me the stories, I mean, can you imagine? He was just brokenhearted, and he received Christ. What he needed was freedom. He needed forgiveness for taking all those lives. That was his job, and he did a good job. But, but when he got home, the full weight of that fell on him. And, you know, you've got to meet people where they're at. And so this guy serves. I need to get, I need to be rescued, right? And yet there is that spiritual layer that is so important because that's the true rescue. That's the true reboot in people's lives is when Jesus comes in and restarts everything. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And the answer is beautiful. It's like start going to church and being a good person. You know, vote Republican. No, sorry, don't. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, right? Believe in the Lord Jesus Believe that there is a God that loved you so much that came to rescue you and bring you out of the pain you're in here on the surface, but more than that, deliver you from an eternity of pain. Believe. Don't just accept it as a head thing. Receive it in your heart, your very life. Put your trust in him. Put your hope in him. Jump into his arms. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved. You'll be rescued. 
I, I, you know, I can't guarantee all that's going to happen here on the earth, but I tell you, you won't worry anymore about what's going to happen here on the earth because you will be saved eternally and you will have a hope that will change everything. You and your whole household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Man, this is amazing. And immediately he and his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. Isn't that amazing how the whole message of Jesus can show up in just a few moments. Absolutely just a few moments. How do we know this guy truly responded to the gospel? Well, a couple things. He showed true compassion, right? When Jesus comes into your life, your heart change. You're compassionate towards those in need. There was a brokenness. There was a sorrow over the way he had treated them. And number two, he and his family were baptized. That's the response of following Jesus, right? Jesus died, was buried, rose again, and he appeared. Well, now in baptism, we died our old life, and we're resurrected again as we come out of the water. That's that symbol of salvation, and we're baptized. We do that all the time at sunrise because it's the reminder that people, they're still being changed by Jesus. And he served a meal with great joy. I mean, when the gospel comes into your life, it's going to show up on your heart. It's going to show up on your faith. It's going to show up on your face. These three stories of how Jesus changed his lives, Lydia, a young girl, and a jailer, all different. They couldn't have been more different. Well, you know, the reality is this, is when you think about your life, when you think about what matters most to you, are you clinging to that for your hope and salvation? Because one day it's going to fail you. One day it's just, it's just not going to be enough. And you might have an earthquake in your life and you might have the world fall down around you and crash. And that just might be God getting your attention that he just loves you. And he, he's done everything necessary to bring you into a safe relationship with him, to rescue you out of your pain and suffering and sin and to bring you to a family. And that Jesus has died and gone to be with the father so that he is praying for you and preparing a place for you. Well, it's a good story. It gets even better. Take a look at this. He says, when it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. Now, uh, you know, we don't know about the paperwork and how it worked, but the reality is they realized there were trumped up charges. They realized there was no case they could get against them. They couldn't hold them more than 24 hours without charges, right? But there's something more than that. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now go, you can leave, just get out of here, right? We'll just kind of wash our hands of this one. But that's not what happens. This is so cool. Take a look. But Paul said to the officers, wait a minute. They beat us publicly, let's get this straight, without a trial, even though we're Roman citizens. It's like stop the presses. Some of you are too young to understand what that means. All right? Hold the horses, all right? Let's just wait a minute. Wait a minute. Mic drop moment. We are Roman citizens, and you're in trouble. <laughs> See, get this. If you were a Roman citizen, you were protected by Caesar himself. In fact, if you were on trial for something, you could appeal to Caesar. Caesar could hear you in court. He was the supreme court. He was the supreme. He was worshipped as a god. And you had a card that said, I am a Roman citizen. And Paul and Silas at that point, they pulled out their card. And they said, take a look at this. You arrested us without rights, and we are Roman citizens. And they beat us publicly, and they threw us into prison, and now you want us to go away, get rid of us quietly? No, let them come themselves and escort us out. 
Let's read the rest of the text here. It says, the officers reported this to the magistrates. And when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they freaked out and had to change their underwear. They were alarmed. Why? Because they were in trouble. Because if you arrested a Roman citizen without proper paperwork, if you beat a Roman citizen without proper charges, that would be what would happen to you. Now, I love it. Think about this. Why didn't Paul and Silas pull out their Roman citizen card? They were Jews, so they were mistaken as not Romans, but they were Roman nonetheless. Why didn't as soon as the two guys, when the demon-possessed girl is freed and they start to get the frenzy of the crowd, they whip out their, hey, I'm an American citizen. Here's my passport. Back off, buddy. I got the U.S. military to back me. I've got, a, I've got an ambassador that lives in your country. This is who I am. I can run to safety to the embassy. They didn't do that at all. They allowed themselves to suffer for the sake of Christ. And then they hold their card up and they said, let's talk. Now let's talk. It's a great story. It's a great thing. They came to appease them and escorted them from prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and encouraged them. Then they left. They were going to leave on their own, not because they wanted to stick it to someone. They just wanted everybody to know the truth, that the gospel shines brightest when it's dark. And when everybody would have wondered, why didn't they pull that card out? Why, Why did they suffer? because of Jesus and because that got the message out. And if it took suffering to get the message out, then I'm going to suffer for Jesus. If it's better to be beaten up and attacked so that people know about Jesus, well, then I'll get beaten up and attacked, right? I'm not going to lay down my rights as, you know, as far as a Roman citizen, but I'm not going to like push them in your face so I get special privileges. My friends, if the hope of your life is comfort, if the meaning of your life is to live a life without pain, If the greatest desire of your life is your health and safety, then suffering will devastate you. But if the hope of your life is really in God, if the meaning of your life is really to experience him above all and in all, and if the greatest desire of your life is to display Jesus to a watching world, then suffering will shine for Jesus. It'll refine you and cause you to depend upon God's strength, and that will be a bright and shining light. How you handle pain and suffering is the best evidence of the depth of your faith and when you wimp out and cop out and when you whine and when you go online and when we we complain you know for the little hangnails of spiritual life it's like people look and go that's not much faith right but when you suffer intensely and people see you bearing underneath of that and demonstrating the life of christ that's unbelievable paul and silas their chains showed the world what true freedom was all about they were freed they were freed because they went to prison. They lost their freedom and they were willing to lose their freedom so a jailer could find freedom in Jesus Christ. After all, they're just walking in the footsteps of Jesus who suffered unjustly for you and for me. They're just like Jesus. Of course, Jesus went to a cross. He was flogged and he was beat. And he suffered for you and for me unjustly. (laughs) He could have pulled out the God card and the angels would have swooped in and saved the day. But he didn't. Why? Because in his suffering, we were saved. In his pain, we found freedom in life. We found joy. In this moment, we have an incredible opportunity to show in the middle of anxiety and fear and suffering a life of Jesus Christ. In this moment, we have an opportunity to demonstrate to a watching world that no matter what we incur in Hillsborough, Washington County, no matter what happens in the weeks to come, 
whether the schools close, whether businesses close, whether, as my friend Jeff up in Seattle told me uh, on Friday, the, the, the leaders of the city have asked churches not to meet. If we have to close our doors next week because of this, we don't even know how long that would take. We'll find ways to serve. We'll be there. But I think you'll be there, right? You'll be in places we could never be. I talked to a gal just, you know, just a real story, just a service uh, before the 9 o'clock service. She said, I work for the school district. I've been thinking about all those kids that if the school's closed, they're not going to get their free and reduced lunch, right? It's the only meal, solid meal that we know they get, right? And teachers know they need that. What's going to happen? And she goes, I've already been asking the, the administrators of my school, if you could get the meals, could Sunrise go and serve them? I'm like, she sounds like something Sunrise would do, right? Yeah, but that, that might be in places that are dangerous. Sounds like something your pastors would do, you know? Because what is this life after all? It's just a vapor. It's just a moment. It's just a mist. If you cling to this world and lose it, as long as you have Jesus, you have the next world. You have eternity. And, and, and we have a moment to walk into pain and suffering. And if it gets the worst of the worst, in the worst case scenario, the church will be stronger still. And we'll reach out to those communities, those people, those that are elderly. We'll go into their homes, Right? We'll shine Jesus. We'll give. We'll, we'll, we'll take the toilet paper. We'll take the Purell. We'll take the food. We'll take the water. We'll do that at the risk of our own lives. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. And we could be more like Jesus than ever before if we stop thinking about ourselves and start thinking about others and start imagining what a world would look like when Jesus shines brightly in the middle of the darkness and pain. And that would be a church worth going to. That'd be a church worth being a part of. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love, and I thank you for the message of Christ through Paul and Silas who suffered so that this jailer could be freed, which is exactly what you did, Jesus. You suffered so that we could be free. You took the beatings and the lashes and the whips, and you willingly bled for us, and you willingly died for us because the greater reward was our salvation. And give us a glimpse of what that would mean to do that in our community. Maybe give us a glimpse of what it means to be saved. Maybe there's somebody here that's crying out, how do I get that? How do I, how do I get rescued out of my pain and suffering? How do I find faith? God, you're so good. You love us so much. I pray that you would reveal to people today that, that you love them. And if they just come to you, express that deepest desire of falling before you, and confess you as Lord and believe in their heart that you raised Jesus from the dead, they'll be saved, eternally saved. And you'll begin to work on their life today and begin to rescue them and begin to bring healing and hope into their life. Father, may we be the church for this age and may believers all throughout Hillsborough and Washington County and Oregon demonstrate the life of Christ in ways that we've never been able to do before because now it's hard. And now there's pain, and now there's suffering, and now there's risk. God, may we not be safe, but may we be dangerous for you, we pray in your name. Amen.